welcome to Meaning What. I'm your host, Mason Hirschenau. On today's episode, Sean, Chris, and I discuss this year's Grammys, the ways in which the winners matter, the ways in which none of it actually does, and what it tells us about the state of not just pop music, but American culture in general. Hey, Sean. Hey, Chris. Hello, hello. Hey, y'all. We are recording in the middle of what has been proving to be kind of a busy week for art, but we are going to set aside the NFTs. We're going to set aside the ridiculousness around large amounts of money moving around at Sotheby's and Christine's, and we are going to talk about something that you in particular wanted to talk about, Sean, which is the Grammys, which in real time happened last night. If you listen to this on Thursday, it will have happened on the previous Sunday. The 63rd annual Grammy Awards, the big award in American music. Sean, was there a reason in particular you wanted to talk about this? None of us watched the actual award show. so Because we love ourselves. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, a, a little bit of self-care in the middle of a the ongoing adventure that is the um, 2020 era. So if self-care is just not doing the thing, is that the new barometer? Because yes. I am just, man, I'm so well taken care of. <laughs> the best taken care of. Yeah, I think, I think one thing that 2020 taught us and that this year continues to teach us is that often the best thing you can do is is nothing. If you can't, actively make things a little bit better uh sometimes just sitting back and not making them worse not making them worse is almost a heroic act truly truly you hear that listeners you're heroes <laughs> if, if you didn't do the thing except you have to listen thank you very much yeah <laughs> you have to do that one that's implied <laughs> so uh, talking about the grammys because we have to preface it with, like, it's all garbage. Who the fuck cares about a Grammy besides people who care about Grammys and or it changes their careers? Right. That's the thing. But it's more interesting to see, A, what a crotchety old institution does with judging, awarding, and music. Mm-hmm. I guess it is a vague pulse of, quote-unquote, what the industry cares about or looks like. Though we'll get into question mark, does the Grammys actually represent anything about the music industry accurately? And like we were kind of talking in our pre-talk, like for some reason the Grammys feel weirdly unapproachable in a way that some of the Oscars or the Golden Globes don't quite feel mm-hmm. something about it. Even more, maybe more than anything, everyone has their own genre or scope of music that they prefer to listen to, and you kind of stick to that. And the Grammys tries to represent a certain scope that tries to cover everything, but in the end covers nothing. So let's try to break down why these were terrible, but also take a look at why. Okay, maybe to start, let's talk about why you feel that they are terrible. To, in a, in a way, even more so than like the Oscars where they're like, quote unquote, trying hypothetically, to be fair, you have seen everything that has been submitted or every movie ever in the year. And you are going to now deem what is good 
in all of movies, but somehow it feels like there's so much more music out there in so many genres and in music genres feel so disparate and not alike. So how do you codify how this rap song is better than this old bluegrass song? It feels like a futile task. And what is fascinating to watch is, I think, and maybe since like the mid-late 2000s, that they've tried to steer the Grammys towards being quote-unquote more current, quote-unquote more with times, because there was that period in the mid-2000s where just Alison Krauss and Robert Plant just won every single Grammy ever. Cool, but like, what youth is listening to this Alison Krauss bluegrass album that won a million Grammys? No one. So they're they're desperately trying to quote unquote be more relevant and real, but the moment you start taking a look at this stuff and you're like, oh, try again. No, this is terrible. I want to just say that that Allison Cross album was actually I really enjoyed it, but therein oh, is kind of like the inherent issue I believe with something like the Grammys, where there is this element that comes with different kinds of media as we're talking about before we started recording i feel like in other media whether it be television or film where not only is it popular and it's widely received by many different kinds of people all over but there's a more of a consensus about what determines whether a film is quote unquote good or quote unquote bad or quote unquote camp whereas with music it's much more subjective and therein, I think, lies the inherent issue with Apples to Apples, why I believe that I don't have as much of a connection with the Grammys, even though I am a avid listener of music. I don't have as much of a connection to that as I do with the Oscars or the Golden Globes, even though I am an avid consumer of film. I couldn't give a shit if Krauss won a Grammy for that album. It was still a great album. But at the same time, I feel like there seems to be a lot more taking sides when it comes to Grammy nominations and Grammy wins as opposed to Oscar nominations and Oscar wins or Golden Globe nominations. Yeah, the thing about the Grammys is that it's the be-all, end-all. And, it, and it's not, right? There are other music award shows, but it feels like it is the only award that matters in a way that the Oscars don't. Mm-hmm. Right. The other side to this, Chris, and you you and I were talking about it before we started recording, is that tribalism that's inherent in music. And the thing that I think about a lot is how much music I listen to that I think is really important and that, you know, people who make music think is important, you know, that will never come up at the Grammys. That's never going to get the attention that would elevate it to that position, but it's still incredibly important, right? And, and you know, the albums that will never have that recognition aren't any less for not having a Grammy, any less than anybody who is nominated and doesn't win is any less for it. But with all of that, it, it lends this sort of, whereas, you know, there are only so many movies that roll through at the level that they will reach the Oscars. And then there are a plethora of other awards that are at a similar tier, but reach out to different sort of equally large or or higher level tiers for 
movies and for film, you know, if, if, if you see a movie and you think it's really good and it, and it is critically acclaimed, it's probably going to end up in some set of awards. Whereas if an album's really important, if it doesn't have any radio appeal, you know, um, it'll be on a stereo gum or pitchfork top 10 list. (laughs) Right. And I guess like the one thing that like helps me to like conceptualize who and why they give these awards to is rather than who's the best, because that's garbage. They're not actually doing that. It's who had the most cultural impact during this year musically. So, and cultural impact inevitably turns towards mainstream appeal with a few exceptions about, you know, outsiders sneaking in. So like, I think that's an easier way, easier metric and realistic metric to kind of judge their thought process by. Yeah. And as we start to kind of pick apart who did or did not win that question of sort of cultural appeal and cultural effect becomes only that much more complicated when you look at who does and doesn't get recognized and raises some uncomfortable questions about who gets recognized and why, especially in a year like this. Absolutely. Do you want to jump in? Yeah. So, Sean, as sort of the resident music expert, (laughs) the person with the closest thing to a horse in this race, do you want to give a rundown of... uh, So, maybe real quick, the Grammys are a lot larger than even what we see on television, right? Yes, there are um, eight million and a half categories. Right, there are categories that we never see. There are categories that happen on commercial breaks. There are categories that can't even conceive of. But Sean, do you maybe want to start by giving us a rundown of what the sort of major categories are and who won them? And maybe if you can explain what the difference between album of the year and record of the year and song of the year and etc. Yes. All those titles that mean the same thing in basic English. Yes. yes. <laughs> so yeah, we'll today we'll talk about the big four, which are called the general field categories, aka they're removed from specific genre classifications, which in itself is a whole nother episode about how that is racist and terrible. But the four <laughs> major categories are album of the year, record of the year, song of the year, and best new artist. And you kind of get what best new artist is, though caveat to that from what i understand the rules about best new artists are fluid and keep changing they used to be super strict and now from what i understand they're basically like if you haven't been nominated before you can qualify as a best new artist if this is your first time being nominated or it's like somebody rising to prominence during a specific year i heard that terminology thrown around a little bit specifically when coming to like song of the year or yes whatever because it's all bullshit, but like, especially for Best New Artist, it's something like Bonnie Vare was nominated for his second album. And like, Bonnie Vare was a big thing from the moment his first album came out, right. you know, and all these things you're like, and but then like, Lady Gaga couldn't qualify for the year. She actually became a thing because she was nominated for a remix that she was on for 30 seconds the year before, which is just like, <laughs> yeah. And, it, and it's why this year Phoebe Bridgers was nominated in that category after having her her sophomore release you know which followed a, a critically acclaimed first album and two other albums that she did with critically acclaimed groups so it's kind of a 
To put it politely, it's a sort of soft qualification. It's a fucking mess. Yeah, she like she finally got to be on late night shows this year. Is that basically our barometer? Terrible one. And then the bit. Then you. We all kind of know what an album is. If you don't know what it is, look it up. Um, but the <laughs> difference between record of the year and the song of the year, which. First of all, you know, therefore, thereby, it's real stupid that they separate these two. Song of the year, you're giving the credit to the the person winning the award is the songwriters, and then record of the year, you're giving it to the production and performance of it. So, like the performing artist plus the producer mixer would get record of the year versus the songwriters who get song of the year, and inherently right that's pretty fucking stupid because a song needs both parts to be good or work and because the the people who get nominated for those are almost often a pretty close copy paste and you're like so what's the point (laughs) i would think that that speaks more to how the record industry works when you reach the level that the grammys operate at right we all have this kind of at least I certainly do have this sort of romanticized ideal of what being a musician is, which is like the singer-songwriter ideal, right? And and that's the area of music that I'm most connected to is like singer-songwriter and, and, and the tradition of like indie music. But in commercial music, it is a team, right? I think about when the year that Beck beat Beyonce for, was it album of the year? yes. And there was a, there was a, I guess we'll call it a meme that went around that was like Beyonce and Beyonce's list of um, producers and songwriters and, and co-collaborators and then Beck on, in column B. All that's to say that I feel like this comes out of the way that music gets made in America at this level, which is that it is a corporate thing and it's kind of an, an industry in and of itself, but a big name performer employs a lot of people. Um, and it's especially like, look at my day, I don't want to do that. But it's gotten even more so, I'd say maybe in the 10, la- 10 years or so for pop music, that it is written by committee, that the, the, the list of people involved is like seven or eight people long. And like, y- you know, you kind of question like, what is that involved? Because almost often than always, those they'll put the pop, carefully manicured pop star's name in that list. So she cha- you mean she changed a couple words and changed the grammar. But, you know, so, like, what does this list of seven or eight people really mean for songwriting? Well, it's not, like, a vilification of that either, right? It is just the way that, that it kind of gets made, right? Yeah, insider baseball stuff. Right. Yeah. Beyonce yeah. is no less of an artist than Beck is. It's just a different kind of art. Yeah. And yeah. something that... Me, as I was looking at this list, I didn't really think that song of the year and record of the year was where I got confused. I like, I always assume a record and an album are the same. Like, record <laughs> of the year and album of the year. Like, if I go out and I buy an right. album, especially like, you know, I have a turntable. Like, if I buy a record for my record player, it's an album. And so it's like, okay, you know, like. <laughs> So it's like, okay, the Oscars, like, having, like, a movie of the year and a film of the year. Wait, what? (laughs) Yeah. I think the better term would have been recording of the year. Okay. Technically. But that's still still dumb. dumb Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're leaving, like, semantics up to in... (laughs) 
<laughs> an organization that has urban categories, you know, like they just got rid of that this year. Okay. But yes. I mean, but still, like I don't, I, I wouldn't trust them for <laughs> any of that. anything. Yeah, right. yeah, and it used to be worse because like each genre already is split into several genres, and then it's like group, then solo, then album, then best performance, et cetera, et cetera. And then it used to be gender split as well until maybe the like 2010s. So it used to be like a budget, you know, like an, an infinite amount of categories. Except I think it was not split in rap because there was they didn't allow female rappers to exist. Anyways, you know, so the <laughs> it just like oh, right, it's just like what garbage that they're trying to streamline only because of the money. So let's let's dive in. Um, let's start with the kind of the softball category, I guess. Best new artists. The winner was Megan Thee Stallion. The other people nominated were Ingrid Andress, Phoebe Bridgers, Noah Cyrus, Chica, D Smoke. Dotage Cat and Catronata. Does anyone have thoughts? I don't know any of these people. <laughs> like, <laughs> what was it? Doja Cat? Like, that sounds like yeah. a Pokemon. <laughs> okay. Is, is I Mila mean, Cyrus yeah. related to Miley Cyrus? Literally her sister. Okay. Okay. D Smoke, it's like, it reminds me of, uh, what is it? Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. Oh. Big Smoke. Okay. But you're not really that far off. He won a Netflix rapping was it netflix yeah a, ra- a rapping competition show on netflix okay. cool so terrible well i mean i it's interesting because most often when i think about people who win those kinds of reality music award shows it's usually the runner-up that always winds up making something of themselves right you know right. the trope. and so like if d smoke won that and and they're getting some kind of prominence and getting nominated for something like fucking awesome cool like glad they didn't just like fade out (laughs) like so many other people i mean this list is i am in a similar boat i think that i yeah i know megan the stallion's name i know phoebe bridgers and i know noah cyrus from people who talk about miley cyrus right but the rest of them are completely outside of my wheelhouse and i assume that that's just because i am a straight white guy that listens to the kind of music that i listen to you know so and and that i'm also like reaching an age where i'm not plugged into the pop music even less than i ever was but it's also the way that you describe it like it starts to feel particularly with d smoke it starts to feel like okay, here's a list of people that had the important people's ears this year. They had the attention of the right folks, and so they get to be on this list. Absolutely. Yeah, D Smoke is, to me, one of the most egregious choices there. Kate Renata is actually cool because it's, like, he's actually from the indie world. I'd say he does really cool R&B-inflected house music and he won a, a couple of awards right yes i remember see i remember that name coming up when i was going through the list yes he won for a song called 10 Percent, which is an excellent song and he's also been around for seemingly a long while like in the music blogs i feel like i've heard katronata's name for like at least five years <laughs> so how perfect that he's just getting nominated now <laughs> And Ingrid Andress, who I didn't know, is an up-and-coming country singer. So, interesting. So, it's a pretty wide swath of, yeah, yeah, like, covers a lot of ground. Yes. Tell me about Doja Cat. 
This is the name is intriguing. <laughs> so she is um, very similarly to Megan Thee Stallion. Both of them kind of came up in the last year in prominence as female rappers. And both of the both of their big breakthrough career successes is because of TikTok. Both of them had a song kind of become the challenge viral thing. But also on top of that, you know, they have a pretty decent resume and big rap releases. Doja Cat is an interesting character because I'd say her first like memeable moment was the song where she pretended to be a cow. And she made this terrible green screen music video, and it goes, bitch, I'm a cow. Bitch, I'm a cow. Um, (laughs) So she's kind of an internet troll turned female rapper. And apparently you can get into her, like, weird history with being in, like, incel chat rooms and stuff. It's fascinating. But the big, like, kind of upsetting thing about it is a lot of her work was done with Dr. Luke, who's a producer you might have heard of. But the important context here is he did a lot of Kesha's music when she became a thing. And Kesha came out maybe a few years ago about how he abused her sexually and, you know, wielded all this influence. And then, you know, like the appropriate response would be like, okay, goodbye, Dr. Luke. Don't be a thing anymore. And then he like made all of Doja Cat's first album. And where's Kesha now? She released um, an album last year that was... I guess pretty good, but also like nothing like TikTok mm-hmm. and, you know, but like basically having to go independent. Oh, wow. Right. So it's just like upsetting with the people who wield their influence to end people's careers, even though they're the abusers, are still given time of day. And I think he like uses a different pseudonym now, Dr. Luke, to like put on the production credits, which is just like, you know, you should be hiding, bitch. Go hide. But we don't know who he is. And so, you know. He has the option to hide. He gets a, he gets away right. with it. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess whether or not what is correct, but I think that like Megan Thee Stallion is the option here that makes the most sense in terms of general cultural impact, not having a problematic past or like context around her, and is like to me is like a rapper's rapper in the sense that rap as a genre, right, has kind of devolved into, like, not being what it, quote-unquote, used to be for better or for worse, right? Like, a lot of people sing in their way through rap, and it's rap pop music, basically. But Megan Thee Stallion is one of the more prominent examples of new upcoming rappers that rap with a capital R. So, that's great. (laughs) Oh, something I was curious about is I can imagine, you know, I've, I've never watched the Grammys except for on the rare occasion where somebody who I was really, really enamored with was performing, not because of any of the nominations. And I am, I really, really imagine that this list and the way that these artists have come to prominence has dramatically changed compared to 10 years ago or 15 years ago before Spotify and Apple Music and all these other ways that we gathered and heard about new artists. You know, back in the day when radio was the way that we were introduced to new artists. Right. Like, I feel like I haven't heard some of these people before, which is both a good thing in the sense like, yeah, of course there's more music out there that I haven't listened to, but also like, hmm... 
Interesting. Who do you know? Do you know someone at the Recording Academy that's your dad? Just checking. Just checking. We'll get into that. There's a more egregious example of that in this. Also, uh, just a footnote that Noah Cyrus is feels like the nepotism special just because her music is like a carbon copy of a carbon copy of a carbon copy, bad copy of Billie, Billie Eilish music. And you're like, why are you here, girl? I digress. Do nominations carry the same kind of weight in the Grammys as they do with, say, the Oscars? Like... I understand that being nominated for an award like this that carries a huge recognition in the industry is, by by its own right, a major achievement for any artist, regardless of whether you're a filmmaker getting nominated for an Oscar or a musical artist getting nominated for a Grammy. But does a Grammy nomination hold as much weight as a nomination for something else? You know, like, that's kind of a marketing tool for other kinds of things. You know, Golden Globe nominee blah, 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 or Oscar nominee, this person, you know? Yes, and I ask, the answer is yes and no, in the sense, like, I feel like for people with the resources and or connections, this is, like, a, some weird way to, like, legitimize themselves, right? Mm-hmm. So then they, can, then they can also buttress it with a major studio backing to push forward or whatever yeah. shit. But I feel like I know Grammy nominated people that A, you've never heard of and are still not rich and successful. Uh, what did I just see? Um, uh, best traditional pop vocal went to James Taylor over Harry Connick Jr. So there are yes. big names elsewhere. <laughs> yes. I love that category. It's basically like you're an old and you're made a standards album. Go Rufus there. Rufus Wainwright and Renee Zellweger were the other nominees. Renee. Oh, because she technically was it for Judy? Yes. Because she technically sang on that. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> she has the nomination. Wow. That's a category where I knew every single name. I'm I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this is the category you need to like make the bets for. You know what I mean? This okay. that is that is your category. Right, let me call Chris. my bookie. We found it. <laughs> yeah, let's make this happen. Let's make a fucking betting game out of That's this. It's always gonna be this James will Taylor. Be fun. If James Taylor's up for it, always. I feel like he's the uh Sort of give me in that category. I love James Taylor. Okay, I have to say, as someone who's ironically and someone unironically watches terrible shows like The Voice, he showed up last season to mentor, and he was just excellent and lovely and, like, cut through all the bullshit and was just, like, giving sage advice as though, you know, (laughs) this was a legitimate career path for these poor kids. He has a very (laughs) pleasant voice. I'll give him that. General apathy. <laughs> this is, I mean, this is where our episode is, but we are doing it because we love you listeners and because it's fun to also, make fun of. Also, real quick, I'm just scrolling down the list. The Strokes one, and my God, do they look old. <laughs> right. They've, uh, they've, I mean, they've done some living, but, you know, I was surprised to see their name. And, as you know, I forget. I forget that they put anything out since whatever that, third or fourth album was that's a fun footnote to make right like it was almost this like breakthrough quote-unquote feminist moment where most of the rock category was mostly women for all the categories except for album and then that was all like men and then it was and the strokes one <laughs> right and you're like when was that it, it's this weird thing where like fiona apple won most of those rock categories but then her album was under a t- alternative album which she wins which is the one refuse spin we put all the indie acts right. 
Well, we should say, as a point of clarification, that Grace Potter was up for Best Rock Album. Yes. The only woman on in that category. Uh, also a name that you're like, I haven't heard in a while. So that's not Harry Potter's sister? No. Okay. Real quick. Uh, <laughs> Grace Potter had a band called Grace Potter and the Nocturnals about 10 years ago that put out a couple of really interesting i i really enjoyed them uh, albums i actually saw them in san francisco but were really great and they were slated to make a album with t-bone burnett and then didn't Oops. and then she sort of disappeared for a while and then now she's popped up as a solo act and is is doing her own thing so kind of a blast from the deep deep past for me yeah it's, it's also like oh cool hi Nice to see you. <laughs> Relationship to Harry Potter is unconfirmed. Okay. Anytime I, I hear the name Potter, that's all I think. Potter. <laughs> Potter. <laughs> oh my God. This is a fun episode. Um, so the next category, let's take a look at song of the year. So songs up for it. Um, I Can't Breathe by Her. Black Parade by Beyonce. The Box by Roddy Rich. Cardigan by Taylor Swift, Circles by Post Malone, Don't Star Now by Dua Lipa, Everything I Wanted by Billie Eilish, If the World Was Ending, J.P. Sachs featuring Julia Michaels. Now, I unfortunately made my um, co-host here listen to it, so maybe we can, like, scrape from our memories, like, what are your thoughts on these songs? Which ones did you like? Before we can get into what happened. Eh. None of them were for me. Yeah. <laughs> None of them were of any note. I was really bummed that Black Parade wasn't Beyonce doing a cover of Black Parade by My Chemical Romance. I will pay for that. It'd be fun. I would absolutely yeah. love that. But I'd never heard of a Billie Eilish song before, but it sounded exactly like I expected it to sound based on all the descriptions that I had that were basically just hyper-condensed, memeable, laughable things about her specific style and wasn't surprised. Uh, the Dua Lipa mm -hmm. song was, I could, you know, I could tell that it was comparable to the stuff that I listened to from Dua Lipa based on what I listened to for the disco episode, but it wasn't as good as the other stuff that I listened to, which I Correct. think Sean, you also said that <laughs> specifically. Correct. Disappointment. I was surprised by the Post Malone song. Uh, it kind of reminded me of some of the stuff that I would listen to back in like 2015. It reminded me a lot of like Keen and some Coldplay stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it just needed a little bit more piano and it would have been right at home on my one of my playlists back in the day. And I was also confused because I thought that Post Malone was a rapper. I thought anybody with that uh, number of tattoos on their face was automatically a rapper. <laughs> That's the thing, right? And it's, like, kind of weird about his image that he came on the scene as, like, one of those, is that a rap? Is it rap when you're singing that much? And then it wasn't. And then I swear, don't quote me on it, but he, like, outwardly said, like, I hate rap. So I guess not. <laughs> and then it has gone towards, honestly, towards this more, like, pop adult contemporary round. He feels to me... And and this is in no way they are in no way comparable. I think in actuality, but he occupies a similar sort of form in my mind as Billie Eilish, which is that sort of 
amorphous, unidentifiable new wave of whatever pop music's going to be for the generation yes. Z, right? Like, they both, in their own ways, feel like something that I am not equipped to understand, <laughs> which is terrifying because I don't feel like I'm old enough to be experiencing that yet. When I heard Taylor Swift on this playlist, I thought, uh, Lana Del Rey's up for something? And then I pulled it up and it was Taylor <laughs> Swift. So that was kind of my experience of it. Yeah, we'll get to that. So the song that won is I Can't Breathe by her. And while it is timely and is talking about right, important things, this feels like such a preachy box-checking choice for Song of the Year. I'm sorry. It felt her, very but... pandery in a lot of ways. Exactly. Like, I feel like it was... One of those things where as I was listening to it, I was like, okay, if this doesn't win, there's going to be a ton of people who are going to be upset. Right. Do you know? And that is sort of the worst case scenario for something like this to be in, right? Is is having, on the one hand, like it's important for music like this to exist, mm -hmm. right? It's important to have music that speaks, you know, truth to whatever happens to be happening in the world at the oh, time. Yeah, absolutely. Especially especially with you know the the black lives matter protests yeah it's almost and, been a year yeah yeah which is crazy to crazy, think about right? but at the same time when you drop something like this in there it has to win and then that always carries with it this weird vague question of well did it win because of what it is or did it really win on its merits mm -hmm. And that's really tricky because it's also just something that is not easy. Like, it's a conversation that's impossible to have, too. Yeah. Which is exactly where you don't want to be with an art form that you are trying to talk about. Yeah. It felt to me comparable to, like, when Heath Ledger won Best Actor posthumously. You know, it's like it's one of those things mm. where it kind of felt like it had to happen. Uh, you know, Chadwick Boseman winning awards after his passing. It was, like, one of those things where it's just, like... On one hand, like I can see why they'd want to do that, but at the same time, it also carries with this a sense of, like Mason, you're saying, is it because of the quality or is it because of the message that it sends? And that is kind of, I feel, inherently a problem with these big award conglomerate corporation, whatever. I, they're not organizations. That's right. putting it too kindly. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, whatever kind of messaging they're trying to send to the industry at large or the consuming populace at large. Right. And the, the other thing that comes with it is that there was a lot of music made on this topic this year. There's a lot of black artists writing about black experience and there was a lot of art in general happening around um, the the protests over the past year. And so when one gets singled out in a category where it is the only one, I think that's the other side to this, mm. right? If there had been two or three sort of protest songs, for lack of a better term, mm -hmm. right? Um, there have been two or three protest songs in this category, then it might have not felt so pandering. But when it's the only one, and really, to my knowledge, the only piece of contemporary protest music that was up for nomination right that is that was is outwardly protest music it feels very much like it's their 
to to please the masses or to try to avoid some scandal. Technically, Black Parade was a charity single raising money for okay. BLM by Beyonce. So we could debate whether whether or not that counts as protest but, music. I mean, taking taken out of that context, would that st- the messaging of the song would it, is it still a or could it potentially be put in this that same kind of category as being a quote unquote modern protest song? I don't think so. My bad. I should have looked up. The, it's so good. It's the all good. History of of that, but like it didn't read to me as as having that specific purpose. And that matters. Yeah, and if it did, it didn't have it nearly to the degree of I can't breathe, where I was listening to a playlist, just you know, going about my day, and then all of a sudden there's somebody just yelling on the track, which right. You know, right. 100% understand why that messaging is there. But at the same time, it's just like, it's so aggressively in my in my ears, in my face. Whereas any kind of messaging that may have been in Black Parade wasn't, I wasn't quite as aware mm-hmm. of it. Right. And honestly, I doubt some of those Grammy voters had even as much awareness as y'all had. So <laughs> back to the same kind of circle. Well, we don't know that because we don't know who they are. We, we, can't, dis- we can't disparage them. We should. <laughs> You're being too fair, Mason, too fair. And yeah, and the only other real contribution I had to add is the context that her is <laughs> that kind of spurious title of an, a Grammy darling where it's like, Huh, your your first big single was kind of a thing. I haven't really heard that much of you since, but you keep getting nominated and winning Grammys. Okay. So it's like, quote-unquote, someone they know for whatever reason. So it's like, it feels like, oh, we're familiar with that person there. They can make a protest song that we'll like a little bit, it feels like. And a lot of these institutions are feel really happy to award black suffering, Mm -hmm. right? In very obvious platitude ways when it's like, maybe we could just reward like black joy and happiness too, which I think is what black parade is aiming to Mm -hmm. do. And maybe that's why And like, we, you could debate whether or not that counts as a protest song or, or if, if that's really, getting what it's getting at, but it's at least getting at trying to move the needle Mm -hmm. forward rather than let us relive the trauma of last summer in a song in a pretty like, right. That song is pretty bald and like halfway through it devolves into almost like a literal speech from right. Which then it also is trafficking in that black suffering directly and, and gets into issues of monetizing it for public consumption. Because even if, even if, everything from the performer and everything from that album goes to charity. You know, it is driving everybody's careers that are sort of tied to making something like this work. And so it it carries with it that icky feeling of like the thing that wins, the thing that appeals is the most shocking. If it bleeds, it leads kind of. Yeah, exactly. Which, um, and maybe this is getting a little bit ahead, but which is why I was, Pretty stoked to see that Britney Howard won Best Rock Song. Yes. Another black artist who admittedly, you know, plays music that is 
more in my wheelhouse, but who has her own area of influence and own importance and is playing in a genre that is dominated by white figures and and male figures in a category that was already the nominees were rather historic and being all female. But, you know, then to have a black woman win in that category feels like a pretty powerful thing. Yes. Good things. (laughs) It's almost like... It's it's almost like they f- sneak in the good news in the smaller categories, and that feels in itself so pandering and like, yeah, we'll give you the diversity or whatever wokeness you want in the categories that don't matter as much to us. <laughs> uh, quick correction, uh, Tame Impala was also nominated for Best Rock Song. It was not all female. It was all female and the guy that is Tame, Tame Impala. Impala now. Who who. He's cool. We'll we'll allow that. We'll allow that one. (laughs) So I think I guess the best transition is to song of the year, right? Where you can almost copy paste the list. I mean, sorry, record of the year where you can almost copy paste the list, except we interestingly took out our winner from song of the year. Um, And the only other different songs are, Black Colors by Black Pumas, and then Roddy Rich comes in here with a different song, Rockstar, and he's featured with DaBaby. And uh, another sub out is Savage with Megan The Stallion featuring Beyonce. And the winner of this category was Everything I Wanted by Billie Eilish. Do we have any thoughts before we jump in? Nope. You know, it, yeah, it's a continuation of the Billie Eilish moment. Yes. I've watched the Billie Eilish documentary, which was my introduction to her. I don't I don't listen to her music. I don't really I'm not plugged into it. The documentary made me really uncomfortable just in the things that it raised about the ways that we treat famous people and people that we have hero worship of, especially when they are children. And mm-hmm. so any thoughts that I would have are kind of uh, tainted by that documentary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. Then we can just uh, we'll get we'll get to one of my com- like one of the suspicious nominees in the album category, right? So Billie Eilish won for a song, funnily enough, that is essentially about getting everything you want and regretting it. And context was released kind of just just before last year's Grammys, where she swept the, these big four categories which I think has only been done five or six times before. And, you know, and there's a lot of feeling from, like, seeing her react and everything, and she kind of felt embarrassed by all the success and everything. And then when she got up and won this award, she rambled on for the first half of the speech saying that it belonged to Megan Thee Stallion. Like, I love you, you're a goddess, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that is just, like, a weird moment that is not quite as bad as what you could perceive as other previous slights. I don't know if anyone thought that Megan should have won it, but it reminds me of when Adele won everything again for the second time, and then she goes, Beyonce, this should have been yours. And in, I think, more pundits, more people's minds that, yeah, that should have, that that was kind of an oh, odd choice to make there. But also, like, you still got the award. You didn't actually give away the award. And you still you or the record label or someone put this stuff up for consideration. So it's complicated. It's kind of this 
intention of trying to come across as modest and it's not necessarily isolated to just the Grammys. It happens in Oscars and Golden Globes all the time. And oh, of course. you know what that says about the person accepting, I don't think really has any kind of bearing on them as a person. It's just, that's just something that a lot of people wind up doing. And maybe they thought that it, Megan Thee Stallion was going to win. I don't know. But, you know, the idea of just being like, oh, no, I don't deserve this. Well, if you don't deserve it and you thought that Megan Thee Stallion did, then why did you stay on in the process? You know, you could have, I imagine, I'm not for sure, but is there any point where you could have dropped out after you were nominated? I don't know. I'm looking at the Grammys webpage as we do this. It, it puts Billie Eilish at the top for the second year in a row, like, big picture right at the top of the column but you know underneath her name are the names of yeah three men you know who one of whom is her brother but really underlining the fact that like as we were talking about before this music industry as an industry right it doesn't matter who Billie Eilish thinks should win at the end of the day either because she's not the only one winning there right yeah Phineas is her brother right yeah. Correct. Like, no, shut up. We won this. I want this. I let you record in my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, it's it's like it's like in film where the the difficulty of disowning an actor or a director no matter how valid those complaints are affects everybody else who is involved in the film, right? Mm-hmm. This is not an exact parallel, but in a similar way, like an artist saying that I don't deserve this award, there is a machine behind them, especially when they are operating in the way that a pop star is in particular, right? So Billie Eilish might accept the award, but Billie Eilish is the figurehead of the Billie Eilish machine, Mm -hmm. um, which is powered by her engineers and, and her mixers and her producers. Yes, definitely. And maybe it's like this weird icky situation where she's a young woman and like how much control does she have over her career or like here's executive control over what happens with it. Right. But and I been... and I should say too that it's this isn't to say that she has no power and that because that's also equally problematic. Or that she if she really believed that Megan the Stallion should have won, she could do more. But you can imagine what it would be like to be in that situation and, you know, with other people sort of counting on it and also then, like, it not being just your own thing. Yeah, it's like David Fincher going up, like, let's say David Fincher wins for Bank whenever the Oscars uh, come up, you know, next month. Which I'll be upset about. Yeah, so let's say he wins, but then when he goes up, he's like, no, I shouldn't have won this. Insert other film here should have won this then that discredits Gary Oldman and his performance. That discredits all these other people who were a part of this process, uh, even though he is just the mouthpiece in this particular moment. Yes. There's also been a weird Grammy trend. Well, not that weird, but like people being upset about being shut out or anything, and it's almost allow- you're allowed to be cool to say, don't put any of my music up for nominations. I think Kendrick Lamar a few years mm-hmm. ago said no. Um, Frank Ocean refused to let any of his last album cycle be put in. When I saw it pop up 
I was reading about the weekend and and his refusal to play along, which only followed him winning Grammys in the past, right? And he's right. You know, he his reasons are legitimate, but it can't be ignored that he's benefited from the machine, right? And and now he can exist outside of it. Yeah, absolutely. He was he, he started out indie, and he's one of those like rare quote unquote crossover successes who make it to a big label with success and not turning in total shit music. <laughs> though, right, though he is kind of like the big curious gap in terms of the kind of cross between commercial success, musical quality, and like cultural impact, and like him just kind of being totally shut out of everything. It's hard for that to not feel very suspicious. And then you have a band like BTS, which I have no concept of um, <laughs> K-pop or J-pop or any of those, that sort of sphere of music. But I logged uh-huh. on to Twitter as the Grammys were happening, which I don't do very often. I hardly I was use say, bad. Why did you do that to yourself, Mason? Because I was curious, because I knew that I had to talk about this bullshit today. Um, so I thought, well, let's get a feel on um, what the terrible, most terrible people in the world are doing. I'm sure there are lovely people on Twitter. <laughs> but, you know, hashtag scammies was uh, trending. And it was uh, centered entirely around BTS being snubbed. And I was in this weird position, like scrolling through it and 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 seeing the reactions of thinking, well... I don't I don't know anything about this band. I don't know anything about that sphere of culture and I have no doubt that they've been wronged by the racist machine that is the American cultural conglomerate. But my god, their fans are terrifying. And they're the the like calling for the destruction, however ironically, of other actual living human beings is just kind of a scary thing. To see. Yeah. Hero worship's a hell of a drug. Yeah. Ooh, K-pop. Fascinating realm. There there feels like this, they're putting like a little bit like way too much on it because I want to say it's the first K-pop nomination for the Grammys. And it's also for this group that is unrealistically huge with staying power in, in like a genre where you last for five years and then you disappear. An all-English song. So it feels... More than anything, their machine's pretty bald attempt at like, okay, please make us famous. And they lost to Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga. I mean, if you're going to lose to somebody, it might as well be Lady Gaga. Yeah. And it's not bad press. Uh, You know, like it is is the, the greatest example of there's no such thing as bad press because now they are snubbed by the machine and the underdog and, and have been wronged. And so they can, you know, their their audience is whipped up and will support them, you know. Like, would it have been good if they won? I honestly have no idea. But from a marketing standpoint, maybe this is good too. I don't know. I think so. Yeah, we could talk about the merits of those songs. Uh, interesting. <laughs> what I'm realizing as we, and I knew this coming in, but what I'm realizing as we talk about it is that I am not qualified to discuss a lot of this because I don't fucking care. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I just don't, I don't care about 
95% of these people. The people this is fun. I do care about. If they won, that would be cool, but it wouldn't change my opinion of their albums or anything, you know? So, like... No. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, I just have to say, I just, like, scrolled to the top of the reference article I'm using, and it's called, Woman Steal the Show at Grammys. The problem with this, and we touched on it a little bit with I Can't Breathe winning with her... Mm-hmm is that supporting things like the Grammys, which are inherently racist and inherently sexist and inherently entrenched in the institutionalization of toxic capitalism controlling art output and culture, is by giving them any amount of air, we are perpetuating those sorts of problematic things. But... Because of their nature, by doing even the smallest little bits of representation, it's a major victory. And and it doesn't matter so much what the individuals do, which is oftentimes in the long run what art and culture is about. It's about the influence of the individual, right? But with an award show like the Grammys, you can boil everything down to... Well, how many more women were in this category? See how progressive we are. Or how many black people won? See how progressive we are. And those are important things because we are starting at such a shocking, horrific deficit. But it's a dangerous razor that we're walking on where we are we are so low and and we are so craven that the tiniest little crumbs of of tiny little progress or anything that even barely resembles progress can be heralded in headlines as an incredible step forward. And the people who are plugged in know that that's bullshit, right? The people who care and who pay attention know that that's bullshit, but the people who are living their lives, you know, who have other concerns, who are going to see those headlines aren't going to have that same perspective and and it's not any faults of their own and it's not a problem for them, but they're going to believe because of that viewpoint that these things are more progressive and then the Grammys benefits, you know, and it turns into this sort of self-perpetuating machine that doesn't ever have to actually meaningfully address the reason why it's a big deal that an artist like Megan Thee Stallion won. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the even grosser just like context on this is it's essentially damage control for the Grammys because the um, CEO, whatever, in charge of this fucking conglomerate until 2019 was Neil Port now. And I think in 2018 or something, it was like a woman was shut out for most categories and everything. And his actual quote was, well, maybe the woman should try harder. <laughs> Uh, and and he and he was in charge of like who was allowed to perform at the Grammys because the Grammys ostensibly is a concert plus some awards and is in charge of the basically how terrible all the choices and performances were and also the weird insistence of like a band from 50 years ago doing 
their song, but covered with someone who's nominated for Best New Artist. And you're like, why can't the Best New Artist just sing one of their songs? It's because some old, some ancient white man, who, by the way, got Me Too'd in 2020, just decided so. Like, it happened to Bon Iver. I can't remember who he's paired with. And Bon Iver said, fuck you, no, <laughs> bye, I'm not coming. And he, Neil Portnow was offended. And you're like, <laughs> right. Okay, I remember um, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this was the first year Neil Portnow was not in charge of the show. So it's almost like they're like, sorry guys, yeah. course correction. Right. But it is a sort of indication of who gets to that point, right? More so than than anything. But with that said, you know, outside of them doing damage control PR stuff in the wake of all this, I know that, Sean, you had issue with album of the year, right? Yeah, but it's more anything. It starts with who's nominated more than anything, and then like how it falls out. My biggest issue, okay, Taylor Swift won for folklore. Based on this list, the rest of the people on this list: Jene Aiko with Chilombo, Black Pumas, Coldplay, Jacob Collier, Haim Hayam. Sorry, we're sorry. Dua Lipa, Post Malone. A lot of the people on this list, you're like, huh? Interesting. How did you get this? Um, and if you notice, all the like maybe half of this list was not in any of the other general field categories. Yeah, which is fascinating. If we like take that Oscars equivalent, it's like the a bunch of Best Picture nominees who just got nominated for Best Picture and nothing else. And you're like, that happens, but is also rather rare and odd. Yeah. So honestly, I feel upset in the sense it was basically set up so Taylor Swift was almost the only choice in terms of larger cultural relevance and supposed musical quality. But then the headline in the New York Times this morning, I think it was in the Times or maybe it was in the Post, was Taylor Swift has been pursuing the Grammy deciding body for many years and it's finally paying off. What? talking about this is our third album of the year win <laughs> the like, implica- yeah. the implication being that she has the ear of the people that the mysterious body that makes these decisions and right. she is able to lobby to get that grammy when she didn't win in any other category yes and when she's paired up like you said with a bunch of people who actual musical ability or worth aside and make her kind of a shoe in for that victory. Absolutely. It's her third, which is like, that's a lot in, in, in the weird way that it feels like transactional and you like carefully dole it out. We like spread the wealth and everything. She's gotten a lot of that piece of that pie. That is ostensibly the big award. But I find it interesting that, you know, according to the list on Grammy.com, you know, record of the year is one. Like that's the that's the headliner. Whereas album of the year is, you know, second fiddle. So yeah. it's almost as though it kind of gets buried a little bit because it's not the main event, so to speak. I don't know how that happens on live TV or what, but yeah. putting my foil hat on and calling up QAnon for some little extra inspiration, but it kind of seems as though it, it seems a little bit orchestrated uh, so that it kind of flies under the radar just a little bit more. Yep. 
I also just say it feels like, and I can't tell you the exact numbers, but barely any black people have won album of the year. I, I had to double check myself in my rage. Only three black women have ever won album of the year. And one of those names is not Beyonce. And I that just feels baffling and sad. And Taylor Swift has won it already three times. And it is a category that people of color aren't allowed to win. And in the musical barriers, large reason wise, I bet would have been like almost impossible maybe 30 years ago for black people to win any category besides the very racialized specific categories they're allowed to exist in. Well, and when you see it laid out as it is here, like, you know, even with my very limited knowledge of any of these groups, just about any of them with the exception of Coldplay would be a much more interesting sort of victory in this category, right? Like it would have yeah. been a really, a, a, a really interesting sort of person to, to, sort of recognize or, or group of folk to recognize. So to have that, right. And, and maybe that's the danger of having such a, for lack of a better term, a diverse category. When you give it to Taylor Swift, you look through the rest of the list and you're like, well, but what about all these people who are doing new things? You know, no matter how Absolutely. good, that's the other thing too, is that like, no matter how good or bad or nothing, Taylor Swift's album is she doesn't need the recognition, right? She has she really does. She has the press, she has the attention, she has the yeah. pull behind her. So if somebody new or somebody who is doing something new, right, um, who is pushing that boundary can get that level of recognition, why not give it to that person? Yeah, it's interesting, Mason, that you bring that up because you know it's like a <laughs> If Taylor Swift doesn't need that recognition, but we look at Song of the Year, which is obviously a messaging choice. Yeah, right. it's like, hey, by the way, the Grammys officially stand with Black Lives Matter, but but <laughs> we still got to give the whitest person in the room the album of the year. <laughs> well. Arguably, is Coldplay whiter than Taylor mm -hmm. Swift? I would say, yeah. I forgot that they released an album. When was yeah. the last time you heard like a Coldplay album that you remembered or a Coldplay song that you remembered? Well, it's been, been writing, a minute. They've been writing the same song for twenty-five years. So, well, to be yeah. fair, to be fair, in this in the album that was nominated, they have some church choirs singing. Okay, <laughs> so they went in the same direction as every white rock band goes in yeah you know you hit that that's that's just a a step in the the white rock band career yeah other people in this category that are vaguely interesting jacob collier is an wildly interesting choice to me because he did win a grammy but for best arrangement and the best way i can describe him is like designed to be grammy bait YouTuber who is real good with jazz chords and he must know someone how the fuck did he get an album of the nomination? <laughs> That's an interesting choice where you're like, we listen to good music with chords, people, kind of choice. And then the other baffling choice is the Black Pumas. Because note that it says it's deluxe edition because the actual, their main album and like the other songs that they got nominations for were outside of the eligibility period. 
but I guess technically the deluxe edition fell under the eligibility period. And it feels like a whole lot of work to kind of smudge the rules, rules for a like not that big psychedelic soul band that context is one black person, one white person. And I am just so fucking cynical this year that like take from that what you will. The Olympics are problematic, but at least they are feats of uh, great physical achievement. What this is, <laughs> I don't know. Oh my God. So, yeah, these Grammys happened. They felt like they were trying to do the things that we talked about, for better or for worse. Sigh. And I didn't watch, we didn't, none of us watched the show live, but I did watch clips and like read about it. And this year's Grammy show reached above this, the basement level barrier of we mostly stuck to people singing songs that were released within this last year and our current artists. Victory! So maybe the lesson there, considering that uh, the three of us did not watch it, knowingly did not watch it actively even avoided it even We're though heroes. we are heroes yeah but that was already established um Duh. i started a podcast because i am a hero and there just aren't enough voices in the world but it mattered so little that three people who decided that for no pay we were going to talk at each other into microphones about this event didn't bother to watch the event the event it 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 matters so little in that amount and so after this episode i don't know about you all but i'm not going to go listen to folklore mm-hmm. i'm going to i'm going to go put on hop along or i'm going to phoebe bridgers <laughs> yeah i might listen to phoebe bridgers of course but it it hasn't changed any of it it doesn't matter and at the end of the day like this award show isn't for us right it's for an industry it just happens to be televised right yeah and they know that we'll watch it and except uh, except for us apparently and <laughs> cuz we're the heroes right um and the the point that i'm trying to make is that the the grammys don't matter what matters is you know, listening to the things that you actually enjoy and that speak to you, regardless of whether or not anybody else listens to it, and then supporting those those artists and you know making sure that they get your recognition because you know, fuck the Grammys, most of them are never going to see one, so they will uh, probably feel the twenty dollars that you spend on an album. So, if you have twenty dollars to spare. Um, if not, uh, pirate Metallica and don't listen to it. And that, that's all I have for you. Amen. It's no Sam Studios. Well, actually... Did I stutter?